Okay. Uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, we are going to start with item B on the agenda. Uh, uh, we have uh, we don't have a quorum as yet, so we will come back to the action items uh, after we finish item B. Item B is a uh, an article that we sent around entitled "They Were Entitled to Free Care: Hospitals Hounded Them to Pay" from the New York Times about two weeks ago. Trustee Fox, uh, my apologies if I may interrupt you. If we can do roll call first and just on the put on the record that we asked for sure. comment. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Trustee Fox. Here. Trustee Friedman is not here yet. Trustee Splendorio. Here. And Trustee Esteen and Trustee Blue have excused absences. So we do not yet have a quorum. Okay. Uh, so continuing, uh, this is a kind of a long article, but basically it talks about uh, Providence, Hospi uh, Providence Hospital System, which is a not-for-profit system in the Northwest, headquartered in Washington State, also in, uh, I believe, Oregon, Idaho, and Alaska. Uh, it's about that chain of hospitals pursuing collections from patients who qualify for discounted or free care based on their income level. Uh, and this is uh, con contributing to the national nationwide problem that we have of medical debt. So I thought uh, just for background, it's important for members of the committee and others to understand what's going on in the, in the healthcare community relating to this. And also that it might be pertinent to hear something about the practices at AHS and, and, and how they may differ from some of these other uh, not-for-profit chains. Could you comment on that? Uh, sure. Yeah, I, yeah, I'd be happy to. So um, a lot of new regulations in this area um, and uh, Alameda Health System has been, you know, working to, to keep on top of them. Sherry's here with me tonight. I think she would like, if everybody's interested, to share just a couple of slides of the of what we're doing and what our opportunities are. Um, I think, you know, Alameda Health System has done a decent job, uh, but I think we do have, you know, more opportunities. Uh, so I don't know if, uh, if Trustee Fox, if you're willing, we can let Sherry just uh, share her screen and just uh, sure. summarize a few of the things. Mm -hmm. Can you see the screen all right? Yes. Yes. So uh, thank you for allowing me to speak tonight. Uh, it's my pleasure to talk through, you know, how the landscape is changing for our charity care process for many healthcare providers across the country. And I think we saw it first with, you know, the CMS pricing transparency. And then what you have in front of you is the No Surprise Act, which really talks through self-pay um, patients and ensuring that we provide a good faith estimate before they have services and really providing education around what their um, liability is, not to not just do the service, let them know their covered services and if they're not, and then really try to engage that patient to go to a facility where they are contracted. 
The next area, very specific to the state of California, outside of um, what Washington may not have, is the California Assembly Bill 1020. And this affords our, our California residents that are seeking health care to um, receive um, uh, care at 400% of the federal poverty guidelines. This is very different from the article for Washington, which was at 300. The next thing for that awards patients in California under this assembly bill is really making sure that we have solid goodbye language from our patients in our statements. We have to inform the patient when we're ready to send them to collections that they're going to a collection agency and what agency that we are contracted with. The other um, uh, key benefit for this assembly bill is that we send patients to collections if, they're, if they are required at 180 days, and it used to be 150 days. So now we're holding on to their um, accounts longer, making sure that we qualify them for um, charity assistance. The, the greatest thing about this bill for consumers is that we have an obligation under this bill to send our patients a charity care, um, you know, at that first statement so that it'll awards them the opportunity um, to uh, seek financial assistance right away. Do we uh, uh, inform them about the possibility of discounted care at admission? We do, we have an enrollment services team and, and I can talk about some of our opportunities, but we know that we we are, re, um, I should say we're optimizing our enrollment services department. Right now it's scattered across the hospitals. We're saying let's centralize it. We have work queues built in our system that allows all self patients to be captured. And we have a, a very thorough screening process. We go through a Medi-Cal screening, we go through presumptive eligibility, we go through our charity and financial assistance, we have something called health pack and family pack available. So we have a very robust screening process. We do, I will be honest, that we, I mean, we do see patients that fall through the cracks. We have, um, we don't always follow up in a, um, as much as we should, and we're, that's what we're trying to do in this optimization. The other thing that we're trying to do um, is uh, for the opportunities is to make sure that uh, when a patient lapse has a lapse in coverage, meaning that they don't have a commercial plan, they move on to collections. And we think we could do better with our outbound calls to connect with those patients to secure the, and make sure we know what insurance they have. We also need to improve on our payment plans. We think that we, we may not have enough outreach um, to, for all of our patients on payment plans. And then I think this is another big one is establishing that dollar threshold. And I think that letter was a, a good piece of how they Providence missed connecting with a patient that had a, an eight over $8,000 liability. And we believe we could um, close that gap by making sure we have outbound calls when patients owe five or more thousand, instead of just saying, no, you, you don't pay, you didn't pay off. You go to bad debt. We're going to create a, 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 an extra work queue that allows us to say, what is that dollar threshold and can you pay? How can we assist you? So we know we can do um, better in these cases. I think that's the, the nice thing that awards us seeing this type of a letter is what can we do better um, to really be our advocate financially for our patients? So we're making a lot of good progress in this space, but more uh, definitely more to do. And I, and I think it's worth noting too that James asked us to uh, attest or to pledge uh, with other hospitals, part of the American Hospital Association, 
And this pledge actually gets very specific as to what your uh, practices are and should be. And it's not just a one-time thing. So maybe Sherry, you could add a few comments on the pledge that we took at the at the request of James Jackson. Yeah, Kim and Sherry, can I interrupt for just a moment? I apologize. I just want to let everybody know that we do have a quorum now. Trustee Friedman has joined us. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Would you like me to continue? Yes. Thank you. Uh, so the American Hospital Association asked us to pledge uh, in some key areas, really making sure that we help and qualify our patients for coverages, making sure that we qualify for financial assistance, ensuring that we provide assistance for every patient every single time, ensuring we effectively communicate with patients. And I think that article also demonstrates opportunities that Providence may have had with effectively communicating to patients. And then really we are auditing our collection agency. So we've got, we um, have them doing quality reviews. We have ways that we've communicated back through um, receiving patients that may qualify for charity uh, through the, that avenue as well. So we, we attested in March and it's a, another great uh, milestone that we made um, and we validated all of this with our current charity and debt collection practices. And this is why I've got all of these pages quoted to ensure that we did our due diligence in making sure that our policies and what we were pledging was um, consistent. Good. Thank you very much. I'm um, really glad to hear that we're being proactive in this area uh, so that we don't show up uh, in the press as a bad example like Providence Yes. And I, I saw another recent article about hospitals in, in the Dallas area that uh, have had the same kind of practices. Um, uh, welcome any comments from uh, any of the board members or others that are, uh, that are on the call that might want to express an opinion or ask a question. Um, Trustee Fox, it's ironic. I was reading an article about um, Providence about two weeks ago. It's ironic that uh, the first six months of their fiscal year this year, they've lost almost a billion dollars. Their net income is minus one billion. Well, that's that's interesting. Charity care usually ranges from zero to two percent of of volume for hospitals, and and so it shouldn't be a big determinant in, in what kind of a financial result the hospital has. Was it COVID that led Providence to have a bad year? Um, they're gradually getting volumes back and the big issue has been labor. Um, their registry costs are just, you know, over 51 hospitals, it's just a lot. Well, and in general, uh, I think around the country volumes especially outpatient and surgical volumes have not come back to pre-COVID levels, yet costs in a lot of cases have remained very high. Uh, Common Spirit, I think, lost almost $2 billion last year. Uh, that's a system that Wright Lassiter leads now. Any other comments or questions? Uh, thank you, Sherry and Kim for, uh, your comments on this article. And now we'll go back to uh, item A1, uh, the action item approval of the minutes of the meeting of September 7th, 
2022. I move approval. I second. Do we need a roll call? Yes, please. Okay, let's have Ch a Ch call. Trustee Fox. Uh, approve. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Splendoria. Aye. The motion passes. Okay, thank you. Uh, we're gonna move on to uh, operating reports and item B2, the report of the chief financial officer. Did you wanna approve the contract as well, Alan? Okay, okay thank, thank you. you, good idea. Let's go to uh, item D. Uh, we have a, a contract waiting for approval on extension of the lease yes. on 7200 Bancroft. Mark, would you yes. like to fill us Yes, I that? would. Thank you, Trustee Fox. Um, and I'm going to introduce it, talk a little bit about it. And if Ira has anything uh, more detail he wants to provide, please do so, Ira. But our current dental program, which consists of um, you know, adult dentistry, special needs dentistry, trauma dentistry, surgical dentistry, et cetera, um, is out of space. And there's been talk about expanding their space and moving them into better space for years. Well, strategically, we're going to do that this year. We budgeted in our budget um, $2 million um, to transition adult dentistry out to Eastmont and have it co-located um, in the Eastmont campus with our current primary care clinic. Um, currently, we lease 52,500 space at Eastmont. This is about one-fifth more space, 10,000 square feet, that we wish to place adult dentistry in. We'll also move optometry and ophthalmology from our existing Eastmont clinic over there because they're really packed tight. So it'll be um, a good synergy between the differing programs in this new 10,000 square feet. Um, we were able to negotiate 2.9 million in tenant improvements, which we think is pretty much going to cover the equipment and construction costs. Um, and we may not have to access a whole lot of our own capital that we budgeted to be able to do this. Question on that, Mark. Yeah. Um, I saw in the write-up that the landlord has offered to finance these TIs at 10% interest. That's if we want to advance another 500,000 plus after the 2.9. But I hope that we have uh, availability of capital at lower cost than 10%. If, if we exceed the 2.9 million, we'll use our own dollars. Okay. We've got that set aside. Um, and so, you know, to your point, Alan, it's 2.9 million in tenant improvements. Um, and two months free of existing space rent and one year free rent of the new space. And um, the dates are listed um, in there. So, and it extends the, the agreement to 2034, another six years, but we did that to get the kind of deal we got, so to speak, and to um, give them the confidence we will be there to do this work and and expand our services. So um, it's we're, we're looking forward to it. We hope um, to be in by, I don't know, next summer to fall timeframe. Um, so we've hired a architect who's working on it now, who will be getting back the plans and the cost to us soon. 
Um, so uh, we're, we're looking forward to, to the move. And Ira, is there any, anything else you would add to this? Um, I think you've done a very good job of um, hitting the highlights um, there, Mark. Um, I would just like to emphasize, I talked with our broker who helped us to negotiate this deal and to emphasize um, the value of it. Um, we were able to negotiate down on the rental rate, the base rate, an additional 8%, and we're right now half of what the average rate is in downtown Oakland. Not that that would be comparable, but it is just a reference point. Um, in addition to that, when we started out the negotiations for the tenant improvements, which Mark just mentioned how good they were, um, we were able to increase the amount they were willing to put on the table by over 100%. So we did actually a nice job on that, in my opinion. Okay, thank you, Ira. Any questions for Mark or Ira? Uh, would somebody care to make a motion? Mark or Splend, we've only- Move approval. Can we have a second, please? Second. Sorry about that, Alan. Okay. Uh, Madam Clerk, do we need a roll call? Yes, please. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. And Trustee Splendoria. Aye. The motion passes, thank you. Thank you. Uh, and that concludes our action items for the evening. Uh, we'll go back to item B2, the report of the Chief Financial Officer. Okay. Can everyone see that okay? I'm going to not go into presentation mode because my screen's are not working correctly, as long as everyone can see. Okay, great. Uh, so this is the August report. These are the volume highlights. And uh, in August, we our patient days were over budget by 12.5%. They have been very high for the last two months being driven by our length of stay. Our length of stay is 6.4, which is one full day and 18.5% more than budget. And if you look last year, we were sitting at 5.5 days. So it's a, it's a large increase of patient days. And of course, those days require resources. So it drives our expenses up. Um, ED visits continue to be below where we were pre-pandemic. So the, the service mix in regard to ED visits has not recovered. Um, in the month of August alone, our trauma visits dropped 7.1%. We're pretty close to budget for the year. And traumas had actually been up quite a bit for the last several months, but in August they fell off. And that does have an impact um, on our payer mix because a lot of the traumas are commercial business. Um, surgeries look really great. We're over 10.5%. August was a busy month for surgeries and a lot of outpatient services, which of course are more elective cases. So that's good news. Our skilled nursing, um, we're struggling with COVID. Um, I'm gonna talk about the reason for why we have so many inpatient days and a higher length of stay, but a lot of it does have to do with the fact that we can't get patients safely discharged into a SNF. There are just so many COVID restrictions 
to make sure patients are safe, that it's it's really increasing the length of stay in the skilled nursing, and we're not able to get the throughput that we've historically had. Um, clinic visits are question really on that one, Kim. However, our sniff days are under budget, though. So, uh, does that indicate that we do have sniff sniff capacity? Well, if you've got, um, you know, you have to have the right mix of patients. So. If patients have COVID, you can't commingle a patient. So we end up with, you know, vacant yeah. beds. Yeah. That's that's the issue, Alan. Our skilled nursing facilities were um, had the same kind of issue every one of them do. And that is when there's an outbreak, we have to limit admissions. Okay. And clinic visits are strong. And of course, you know, we're uh, getting to flu season and we are, we do count uh, vaccine visits in here, even though in a lot of cases we don't actually bill for them. Um, so overall kind of a mixed month here. I did throw in some slides on length of stay since it really is a major financial um, uh, impediment to us. Uh, so this first slide is the acute hospitals, Highland, San Leandro, and Alameda. So you can see that the trend line is going the wrong direction. And in the month of August, we had 2,557 um, days over the expected. So people stayed that many days longer than we would have thought they would or would have planned. And if you value that at 1500 a day, which is probably low, it's just the number that I've been using for since I've been here, um, that would be about 3.8 million of additional costs. And as many of you know, um, if we've got patients here longer than the expected, if we're getting a case rate, we don't get any additional revenue. We may like for Medi-Cal get admin days, which is a much lower rate. And I did John George separately since John George uh, uh, lengths of stay are very different than the acute. Um, for them, they're also going up. Um, they had 753 in August and uh, I valued that at 1.2 million. And then, Kim, yes. Kim, if I may just make a comment on John George, John George's post-acute care, they go to IMDs or MHRCs, those are the skilled nursing centers, if you will, for um, John George. And they have been impacted with COVID just like regular skilled nursing. So it made it exceedingly hard even at John George to discharge because of, of the COVID situation. So even though COVID is uh, you know, on the wane in the community in general, is that not true of, of John George and our, our SNF? It's getting better, Alan. These results were August. We're now into October, and we're the the skilled nursing centers are opening up more now. It's getting a little better. Okay. And then, you know, you look at you know what's happening here, um, and you can see that our, we have a lot of outliers, particularly in you know July and August, where we've got all those patient days. And so if you look here at Highland, you know, in, in June, we had 22 um, uh, patients and July 20 and then 24. And you look at those days, 
they were, you know, they accounted for, you know, in June, 732, July, 664, and 842. Those, you know, like the last two months were like, you know, the highest they've been. So it's definitely some, uh, some patients that we are really struggling to get, to get discharged. So the, the, the length of stay is definitely having a negative impact on our performance. If you look at August for in the month, we lost 1.4 million. We had planned to make 5.5. So we are 7 million behind budget and year to date also 7 million since we were pretty much on budget in July. Uh, and if you look, it's the revenue's decent. You know, we're still over. It's these expenses for all these additional patient days. So I added this slide last month uh, because we have so much performance improvement built in our budget. So this is the budget with performance improvement. Green is without, and you can see the first month we made it. This next month, August, we, are, we did not make it. So uh, we've got some ground to make up here and we will report out every other month in detail on each of the performance improvement issues, which is on the agenda this month. So we'll get to that. This is the revenue slide. Um, as I said, our you know, volumes are strong. They're over budget by 7.4%. But again, it's driven by these higher days, which um, does concern me because I'm using our historical collection rate to determine our 17.5%. Um, and if these days aren't paid, then my uh, collection ratio could be off. Um, we're at 17.5 in the month of August, 18.7 year to date, which is still ahead of budget for the year, even though August is below budget. And when I went over the volumes, I mentioned those trauma cases. Um, those are, are, are impacting this. Uh, great because those are com that's commercial business and we do do our ZBAs by payer. Our also also in August our CMI was down so that that was another had another negative impact on the collection rate. But again, our revenue cycle performance is still good. We're still above budget for the year. So um, here's the supplemental slide. Uh, there's just a little bit of activity here. There's uh, $3 million that came in from an FY21 GME settlement. We, uh, we got the letter in time to book it in August. So uh, we went ahead and booked it. We're thinking it's not material enough to be uh, made an audit entry and put back into last year. So we just went ahead and let it uh, when we found out about it, went ahead and recorded it as income. In regard to expenses, this is what's driving the loss. We are operating our expenses are 12.2 and 12.6% over budget in August, and we are 9.6% and 18.7 million over budget for a year to date. Uh, I'll talk about labor in just a minute. Uh, a couple comments here on purchase services. We're negative in August, but year to date, we're very favorable. It's really just a timing difference for here on offset by fewer consulting fees. The materials and supplies this month was a very busy month. So we had surgeries, we had patient days, so we had pharmacy, 
uh, uh, PP and E. So we were just over because we our house was full. Go on to labor, which is really the, the big driver of the negative expense variance. Um, the combined unfavorable variance for salary and registry is 8.6 million in the month. Of that, 1.8 million of it was overtime just to our own staff. What happened is, you know, we had all hands on deck. Our um, non-productive time was very low. Everybody was called in. People were working. We actually gained a lot of efficiencies in the in the hospital with that kind of volume. So we ended up uh, pretty close to budget in total paid FTEs, and I'll show you a slide in a minute to explain that more. Um, I do want to do an audit to make sure we're not missing registry hours because this seems to me, with as busy as we were and how high the rate is that maybe we're missing some out. So we'll do an audit, see if we need to adjust the FTE count. Um, position wages were slightly favorable because of vacancy. Uh, and of course the employee benefits, when we paid out the bonuses, uh, we did not accrue the impact on retirement funding. Uh, and also we've, we're seeing an uptick of self-funded expenditures for healthcare more claims. So people are going back to the doctor. So I have a couple slides just to, to talk more about this, you know, variance in salary and wages. This first one is a format we've used a few times. Um, the blue line is registry costs. So you can see it was fairly flat in 18, 19, 20. And it was below the cost of our own staff. So registry was cheaper. That all changed in 21. And now if you look at what we're paying in 23, it's almost $430,000 annualized per FTE for a nurse. So it's really jumped high. And look at where we budgeted. That's this blue dot. Um, and this is where we actually are. We're actually a little bit below that. Uh, but the blue dot is where we expected registry. And you can see we, we budgeted based on our history for staff and our history pre-COVID for the budget. Um, all Everyone else, the story is looking very similar. Before, you know, our registry was below our staff costs, and now that um, has picked up and exceeded our staff costs, and you can see where we budgeted here. And then I wanted to kind of show you how, what I mean by efficiency. So what we did here is a stack graph. The um, orange is productive. The blue is non-productive. So that's when, um, you know, people are on PTO or they're on leave. Uh, green is registry and gray is overtime. So um, if you look at the registry FTE um, here in green, the good news is we are doing what we said we were going to do. We did eliminate our highest cost contract, the emergency one. And, you, you know, we were running, you know, almost 400 there, 300 there, and we're down to 129 in August. So that is, you know, we're, we're doing what we said we were going to do. 
The issue is that, I'm sorry, we're down to 256 compared to a budget of 129. I did misspeak here. This last column is the budget column. August is next to it. So we are at 256, which is lower than we've been for a long time in registry FTE. We only budgeted 129 though. And the blue here is non-productive. And look how low that is at 586 compared to a budget of 800. And we usually run, you know, 750, 760, you know, 758, eight over here. It does jump around depending upon holidays and stuff. And August is not typically a month where there's a lot of, you know, holidays. So all hands on deck, people are here working, taking care of patients. This is the typical graph I show, and this is the one that kind of that shows our volumes as far as adjusted patient days. And you can see we're building back up. Um, you know, our length of stay is longer, but our uh, adjusted patient days are coming up. Uh, we still have this step of increase of FTEs, which we'll talk about a little later tonight. Here's the balance sheet. Um, our days in AR. Gross are down, and I have a slide to support that in just a sec. The net days are up because in the month of August, our collection ratio was not as good. So we ended up with, with, with days in AR going in different directions. Usually they move together. Uh, the other comment here is on our net negative balance. We did um, flip back to a negative. We were in an accounts receivable situation with the county on our line of credit. It is now back to debt at just about 4 million. And this is what we said would happen. This is not anything that we did not know about. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Here's the days in AR graph. You can see we're trending nicely. I had a trend line in here. This one's pretty flat for PV, but PV is a, a lot closer to top perform, performer. Um, the big issue here with Pararev, which caused our days to go up, um, it's getting better. It decreased, uh, the inventory decreased 8.5 million. We're getting on top of it. And I expect that this will keep improving and our days in AR will go down some more. Um, here's the cash receipts. And as I always say, you know, how you measure your revenue cycle is cash in the bank, right? You want to see that, that, that cash. And sure enough, you know, it, we are continuing continuing to do very well. Um, we're 13.4% better than this time last year. You know, the year before that, we we're 17.6 better and then even 4.6 21. And this is when, you know, when COVID hit, uh, we had a 20% reduction in volume and yet we still collected more money than ever. So here's the uh, NNB. And you can see how low it was there when it's, uh, you know, it's down here. It means we don't owe anything. This line up here is the ceiling, the maximum amount that we can draw on our line of credit. And I'm predicting that we're going to go up or that our line of credit is going to get up to the about 100 million. And then it'll come down by the end of the year. Um, we did make some true ups in here because our accounts payable and payroll increased. So we, we can see more expenses and the negative budget variance. So we did adjust it a bit, but it's being offset by the patient receipts and uh, measure A, generally speaking. 
here's the chart. So this tells you, you know, that we are going to pay off that line of credit in the April, June timeframe. You can see these big dollars of supplemental payments we're going to get, which will bring down the line of credit towards the end of the year. Um, we did get some good news, not in time for this uh, to book into August. We'll book it in September, but we got additional GPP funding for third quarter of this year of 2.7 million. So that the GPP is based on points and how we're doing to earn the points. Uh, so we're gonna have a nice uh, $2.7 million uh, pickup in September, which you know, will help our situation. I did move the recruitments from long ago and I've got the years listed here, how old they are, down to the bottom, just because they're not as material as they used to be. And although I'm sure we will pay, you know, the the waiver recruitments um, around, you know, 60 million or so, is our estimates. Uh, but I think on the FQHC and the position spa, uh, I think we might be a little um, conservative in these amounts and it, that it should be less. So we'll know more um, soon. Uh, I don't know when they're going to get to the 08 to 13 period, the state. Uh, is is struggling to do those reconciliations. The FQHC, I'm, I'm hopeful that maybe by the end of this fiscal year, we'll have that resolved with the state. And then I put in the appendix here, uh, we've talked about this every month now since about April, that we're working with the county to do an amendment so that um, we can pay over the amount of money that we've received in cost reimbursement on our cost reports on county owned facilities. So we want to give the county that funding and then the county has agreed to set up a fund that we can draw against to pay for repairs and for investing in county owned buildings. Um, Mark Fratsky and Kim Gassaway with the county have been meeting and figuring out you know what the priorities are and how we want to spend that money um but i believe the amendment is going to come forward for our board meeting next week uh which would allow us to pay over 90 percent of the total amount we think we owe the county from our cost reports and then that will make it available for uh, for mark and our operations uh, to to maintain and invest in county owned buildings. We'll, uh, we also expect to resolve the capital designation receivable with the county. Uh, we've paid over uh, 28 million. And according to the terms of the agreement, um, as long as AHS met certain terms, we were supposed to get that back to help us pay for Epic and our, you know, any other related Epic costs. We've submitted invoices, uh, and, but the Board of Supervisors needs to agree that we've met the terms to get that money back. So uh, I believe that the uh, board letter was approved. We will know again next week. Is this really, we have, this is four years of arrears the county is in, correct? That is correct. Is there, what reason did they just not get around to it or? What no, reason? Uh, Alameda Health System gave notice that we would not hit or we would go over the ceiling of our line of credit. 
And one of the terms to get this funding is to not exceed the line of credit. But because we gave notice that we might default, they were they held up on this funding. Okay, so have we now withdrawn that notice? Yes, we did not default in any year, um, but uh, there's the supplemental funds are you know almost half of our revenue, and you saw on the table just a few minutes ago how our line of credit goes way up. Well, they did some changing in the rate range um, timing. They made, well, they actually did it for more than just rate range. They did it for, they changed many fiscal to calendar year. And so for rate range, we didn't think we'd get the check until August. And so we, if we hadn't have gotten that check, we would have defaulted. Mm -hmm. So we told the county this, and um, we actually have Alameda Alliance to thank. They went ahead and cut that check right before the end of the month so that we did not, you know, need, we did not default. But as of now, is it correct that we do not expect to default at any time? We do not. So no, I, yeah. is that something we should inform the county of that we withdraw our previous uh, warning about defaulting so that they can now free this money up or some of it? Yeah, I, I share this with them um, at the health committee. I also share it with the staff. This is my projection of the NNB. And you can see the space here indicates we will never hit the maximum. And, and of course I do have to be the CFO with the wet blanket and say, we need to hit the performance improvement initiatives. And, and that is gonna, uh, gonna be difficult with COVID. Mm -hmm. So anyway, this is just the, the schedule that shows, you know, how much, what years that we'd be paying over and, you know, it would be uh, 33.9 million through 2020 and we'll always be two years in arrears because we can't really make an estimate until we've got all of our cost reports and B14s done. Any questions here? I have just a comment again. This is Blind Spondario. Please can you hear me. I, I just can. want to thank you for I can I just want to thank you for devoting some time and resources toward uh, capital or building improvements or I uh, appreciate that. You're welcome. I know that uh, you know there there's been a lot of years where we, we definitely were working with duct tape. So um, I think uh, I think Mark Fransky uh, and our new capital process is, is working well. Uh, and, and see on this slide, although it, we're, we're doing better than we've done in years uh, spending the capital funds. So uh, got it here. Make one more slide up. Yeah, we've already spent 3.4 million in the first two months. Good. I had a question, uh, you know, one of the reasons why, uh, or the reason why our, our future pension funding requirement dropped uh, for 20, the 2023 budget is that, there were, we, that the markets had such a strong financial performance in calendar 2021, correct? That is correct. So yes. Uh, the way the the way the markets are going now, 
isn't it likely that we can expect all of that to reverse at the end of calendar 22 and we when we get these actuarial reports next june we're going to find out that our expected funding is going to take a big jump for the following year budget i think that's a, a fair statement you can see right here on this retirement uh gasby 68 and gasby 75 this credit here is reducing our labor costs um, and we're not actually gonna, gonna pay anything out or get anything back, but next year it is very likely that we will be expensing um, a higher, uh, some dollar amount because the returns on our pension assets won't be what they've been. Um, in some organizations, they'll continue to fund at a higher rate and become more, more vested, if you will. But because we are in a pooled fund, it would require everybody in our pool to make that same decision. And we have not made that decision. So you might read about that CalPERS uh, and others when, you know, when um, times are, are really good, they, they, they use that, take that as an opportunity to increase their vesting or their, their funded balance. But that's not something that we're doing. And you are right, Trustee Fox, because these numbers can swing so much, it has a huge impact on our net income, but it does not have an impact on our cash. Right. Okay. Uh, any questions for Ms. Miranda before we proceed on with the agenda? All right, thank you very much for your report. Uh, our chief operating officer has a, an oral report this time, if I'm correct. Mark, I think you're on mute. Thank you, Trustee Fox. I didn't get my report in on time. I was gone last week, but it's I've submitted it to Rana for um, the, the packet. Okay. So I'll keep this brief. Um, I first wanted to, uh, let me see if I can get this going forward. Yeah, here we go. I first wanted to chat a little bit about something we're calling MORES, um, and they are monthly operating reports. We started it this week um, across all of our sites. The good thing is we have site-based financials now. So we're coming together as a leadership team at each site, all of the leaders, physician leaders, et cetera. Um, you can see the five different sites we're doing. And we discuss finances, our true north quality, employee injuries, all the facility products, and then any recognitions we want to make. These were held, we've got the last one tomorrow, I believe, but they've been incredible. Um, and it's glaringly obvious that labor expenses um, is our biggest issue in the organization right now in terms of expense structure. So, you know, we're doing everything we can within our locus of control to try to incrementally improve things. Um, but these have been received really well by our leadership team. People are starting to understand how to use our financial, um, you know, software, et cetera. So I just wanted to let you know we're we're doing a lot of work um, now every month around how we're doing at each one of our sites. 
Um, we do have some infrastructure challenges. And you know what? When the heat wave came around, it really exacerbated things. Um, we lost chillers at San Leandro. We lost cooling towers at Alameda. The transformer at John George and the Fairmont campus went out. Um, so we've been repairing um, all of the infrastructure um, pieces of equipment that for years have gone, I mean, unattended. Um, we're either fixing them to the point where we know they're going to last a while or we're going to replace them. But it's taken up a lot of our time. And some of that capital, that $3.4 that Kim uh, mentioned, much of it is emergency capital for some of this stuff that we're working on. We're developing service lines where we have a um, service line director, a physician leader, and a nurse leader managing our service lines. Our first service line, as you know, was cardiovascular, but now we're on the cusp of developing criteria, whereas we develop maybe five to six more. Um, and we're really happy about it. The outcomes that have happened with our cardiovascular pilot around service lines have been incredible. So we're looking forward to that continual development. A question on that one, Mark. Is, it, is there an impact, some impact on the strategic plan of having a service line infrastructure? And I, I would assume, you know, volume growth and service expansion are key uh, things that are on the table for these service lines. So I would think that that a lot of their activity is going to be strategically oriented. The answer to that is yes. Um, every service line is expected to develop a strategic plan. Um, in fact, it's cardiovascular services are already carrying out components of that strategic plan. We look to our big strategic plan, the AHS strategic plan, for anything that could impact them. And then beyond that, they develop it specifically for their um, specialty service line. So yes, Alan, thank you. Um, our South Shore Skilled Nursing Facility that sits on the Alameda campus has sewer problems. The pipe, the sewage pipes under the facility have to be completely replaced. So we literally have to go through down through the foundation and all of our patient rooms, replace all of the sewage lines under the facility. Um, to do this, we need to completely evacuate this for about a four month project. And we've asked the state if we can move temporarily back into Fairmont Building H um, to transition the patients over there. That was the old COVID unit, if you recall. Um, and then when we get the, the construction or the, the work done um, at South Shore, move the patients back. This is about a $950,000 repair um, for us. Um, you heard about dentistry. I won't belabor this any longer, um, but we're really excited about being able to um, expand dentistry. The dentistry services that are not going over to Eastmont are scheduled most likely to go in HCP3, where our administrative wing is right now. Um, we will look elsewhere, the administrators for space, but it's great space for the clinical component of the dental program. So we probably won't be drawing up plans for anything at HCP3 until next year sometime, but um, the intent is to put it there.
Our new coffee cafe is supposed to be opening the end of uh, October, early November. We've, we're developing a new physician lounge for our doctors. That'll be um, probably November, December timeframe. And we know that vaccinations for employee and staff are never going to go away. We're, gonna, we're in the process of talking about where can we put a permanent vaccination clinic within our organization. We're hoping that we can put it somewhere close to the front access of Highland Hospital. That's what we're looking at right now. Um, you've heard about issues with radiology in these past board reports, but I'm happy to tell you that our MRI at Pyland will be up sometime between November 14th and 21st, which will really help with the outpatient loads we have as well as the inpatient acute care setting. And at San Leandro, I just wanna tout San Leandro a little because at the more, at the monthly operating report, we saw that surgical volumes there have doubled over what we expected in our budget. Our inpatient volumes have increased tremendously. We've opened the third floor there permanently. Um, it's 15 beds and we've got an average daily census there of about 10. And our ED volumes are going up at, at uh, San Leandro. So we've seen a lot of good stuff happening at San Leandro, including they're getting a new fixed x-ray unit that'll be in place mid-January of next year and a new CT scanner next June of 23. Along with, if you go there, you'll probably be seeing the lobby getting an upgrade, new carpet, new paint, um, et cetera. So um, really pleased with what's going on at San Leandro. I want to stop there, Trustee Fox. I, I, I didn't have uh, a lot today, but um, I do want to mention that my intent now that we can do site-based financials, this CEO, COO report probably will become every month taking a dive into the site financials for you. Um, so that would be my intent. Okay. Look forward to seeing that. Okay, any questions? Okay. Right. Thank you very much, Mr. Fratsky. Yep. We're going to go on to uh, section C of the agenda uh, on information and discussion uh, item uh, on performance improvements initiative and our recent results. All righty. I pulled up the entity financial statement. Was that uh, part of the CFO report or is that an informational item? I don't think you talked about it during your report, did you? No, I didn't. I I, uh, I did not. I should have. I, I did not. We can do the performance improvement and then go backwards. Or well, either way, if you want to do the uh, uh, report by entity, we can spend a few yeah. minutes on that and then move on. Yeah, it's very short. All right. So this is the entity financial statement. You can see it. Everybody can see it. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So we are, this is still a work in process. Um, and we'll, this will get more refined, you know, as uh, uh, Mark Fratsky and his, you know, leadership do their monthly operating reviews. Um, 
So we did make a few changes this month. We've got uh, budget in here now. So we've got, you know, the budget net revenue, budget collections, and, you know, budget expenses and contribution margins so that we can at least gauge how each facility is doing. So this one here is uh, the August. I also have the year to date. Um, and of course, August was not a good month for us. But what's interesting here is, you know, the ones that the entities doing worse are, you know, Alameda, Fairmont, uh, FQ is better. Um, Highland is very close actually in August. Uh, John George's is worse and San Leandro's worse. Well, that all goes back to those patient days and the throughput issues with COVID. So uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a consistent story. And sure enough, you can see that, uh, that what's driving it is the, um, the expenses, the labor costs for all those patient days. Um, on the second slide here, we, we come down to EBITDA. We still have some, some work on some allocations. They're here in green. Uh, we may just leave Measure A below the line. GPP, QIBP, we're still working internally on how we might want to allocate that back. Um, but from my perspective, as long as we have a contribution margin, a direct contribution margin, and a plan, a budget, then you know, we can you know, manage to that budget. So to me, having those not allocated is not an issue. We're able to drive the performance that we all expected, right? Because we did, uh, we all did approve our budget. Every manager. Uh, the year to date uh, looks obviously better because we've got, um, you know, a little, a little July was on budget. Um, here we were worse. Um, for Alameda and Fairmont, better for the FQ, worse for Highland, John George, and San Leandro also. But what I wanted to point out is, oops, did I go one too far? I did. Um, the collection ratios, really interesting that uh, we thought that for John George, we would be collecting a higher percentage. We know we've improved substantially in our performance there but we still didn't hit that budget target. Um, and then for San Leandro as well, we, um, we thought they'd be at 18.5 and they're only at 17.6. So, you know, that tells me I need to go do a deep dive in my revenue cycle and make sure I understand what's happening. So I wanted just to call that out as an example of why this is so you know, beneficial for, for us to help uh, manage the organization. Uh, I did just uh, add one slide here saying that we've got the budget in there now. Uh, Mark Bratsky is doing these monthly operating reviews. Next steps are to figure out what we're going to do with the rest of the allocations. Keep working with getting the direct expenses in the right spot, particularly physician expense. And then once we, we feel very comfortable that the data is solid, then we'll start doing service line reporting. That's it for entity financials, unless somebody has a question. Okay, let's go ahead. Performance improvement. All right, everyone can see the performance improvement. Great. 
Okay, so this is the every other month report. Just to remind everybody, blue means it's all done, green is on track, yellow is on watch, and red means we're off track or we're going to miss it. And, you know, we take a little latitude in this because we're always looking to where we're going to be at the end of the year. So um, that's an important uh, uh, comment to remember as we go through this. So the first ones are internal performance improvement items, uh, starting with overtime reduction. Here uh, are staffing challenges uh, and uh, those patient, the additional patient days are just raising havoc on this. We think that we will improve. Uh, right now we're at 5% and the budget was 2.9 and we're even ahead of where our run rate was. So um, what we've done here is we've said, we're, we know right now, as long as there's throughput issues and we can't get our patients out to the next level of care, that uh, we're not gonna hit this um, target, but we think we'll get maybe 1.3 of it, half of it by June. Okay, I have a question. You're saying that these are internal initiatives. Does that mean that we're doing it rather than Huron? That is correct. Okay. And the second one is the registry. Uh, we wanna hire our own staff. And of course, we're thinking that with COVID, uh, you know, once we get past the pandemic, that there won't be this huge demand for registry and that will cause the rates to go down. So uh, this metric is registry FTE. We wanted to get it to uh, a budget of 129 and uh, we're at 286. I think I showed you all the slide of this, but we are going down. So we are, we did eliminate the highest registry contract and we do have fewer registry. So things are moving in the right direction, but we feel like uh, we're gonna have a hole to make up. And so we don't think that we're gonna get the 11 million. In fact, we may actually be a negative 8.3 million here. Um, it just depends upon you know what happens with COVID. Uh, telecenters, uh, we uh, plan to start this in January. So we've just put it green here because uh, the work is being done. Payer contracting, again, this one, the contracts are complete. Yes, we have to do credentialing, but we're on track. So we think we'll be good there. The FQs, we are on track. We still need to do a visit reconciliation to get our baseline budget and actual metrics because we really can't count vaccine visits here. So we need to clean up our, our counts. So that's in process now, but we're green because we can see that you know, we're getting that FQ rate uh, and our volumes are actually above budget. Workers comp, um, this one is one that is yellow. We have not started it yet, but um, we are in process of identifying our nurse champions to achieve this. So this could turn green, our plan is to turn it green, but uh, we need to get the, the right team members on board and moving. Here are the Huron partnership initiatives. Uh, the first one here is revenue cycle. Um, you know, we did see a nice uh, pickup in our collection ratio last year, and we budgeted another 6.8 million in pickup. 
And uh, we believe we will still get that. In fact, if you'll recall, when I talked about our collection ratio, we're about 0.2% above budget already in two months. The uh, next item here is the care optimization, which is all about length of stay. And uh, you can see we're above budget and above baseline. And again, this is the throughput issue with not being able to uh, uh, get our patients to the next level of care, mostly because of the, of the COVID restrictions. So here we're gonna, we're digging a hole, which is gonna make it really hard to dig out of. So we think we'll miss it by 8.1 million as of now, but we do think, you know, that things will improve, um, that either the restrictions will be lighter or, you know, I guess in my mind, I'm hopeful that the vaccines are effective and that uh, the, the pandemic will be behind us soon. <laughs> Maybe I'm overly optimistic, but now, obviously, having safe discharges is the most important thing. We want our patients safe. Um, the supply chain and pharmacy initiatives are both green. We're on track. Uh, and the medical practice, we just had a placeholder here. We didn't put any dollars in the budget, but uh, we, we felt like we could improve our productivity and uh, access in the medical group. The last items are things that we knew about when we did the budget that are also in the strategic plan. So we wanted for the major items that we had in the strategic plan, if we could have, we would have put them in the budget, right? So these are the two of them that we knew about when we approved the budget. One was the expansion of the bridge clinic. And we had expected that we'd spend about 800,000 on it. Um, Right now, we think that'll only be about uh, a 0.6, so it'll be a little favorable. And we also wanted to expand behavioral health. Uh, so we uh, put some, uh, some improvement here. Not sure this is gonna happen. We've got it yellow, uh, but just a small amount of money. So the, the issue you have is when you add everything up here, our variance is almost 20 million rounded, 19.6. So we either need to come up with some more initiatives, right? Cut our costs or do better on the items that we've called out. Because this will, this means we will not hit our budget this year. So uh, it's early, we're only in month two. Lots can change, but that is where we're at. Um, and you know, as promised, we've, you know, we've developed metrics for every one of these and we have um, created the financials to support the initiatives. So given that bottom line of almost a variance of 20 million, what's happening among the management team to try to address this and bridge the gap, so to speak? Well, um, there are, you know, areas that we're looking at, like we, we, we know that we're gonna have some settlements on uh, Blue Cross and Blue Shield on underpaid claims. Um, we know that uh, volumes in the FQs are picking up, which means that, you know, we get that, that, uh, that fixed rate per visit. And so we talked about expanding the FQs, which means additional revenue for those cases. 
um, we are still actively working blank to stay, you know, and, and uh, I see Mark fresky has got his hand up. I can let him weigh in here. Um, Kim, thank you. Um, to Alan's point, um, during our monthly operating reviews, we are coming up with ideas around expenses, Trustee Fox, and what I can do is have those presentations include the actions to your point that we're taking at each one of our sites to try to try to help bring this back best we can. Okay, well, I think maybe included in these bi-monthly reports, we should have uh, some information about that um, without creating a whole new report structure that's gonna take away our efforts toward, you know, accomplishing those. Just so that we're aware that work is going on to try to offset the 19.6 million. Yeah, one of the things that we've talked about doing, which would be great to get some feedback on, is building some bridge plans so that we could maybe add a couple things here that may, might offset it. Um, yeah. uh, that, that's one of the things that we've, we've discussed internally. Okay, that's good. Okay, thank you for that report and we'll be looking forward to the next report, including bridge plans or other, uh, other improvement plans to try to offset that variance. Um, any questions for, for Kim or Mark about the performance improvement plans and progress? Going once, going twice. Okay, uh, we'll move on to the, what is now the last item on the agenda is information about FTE growth, also from Kim Miranda. All right, and I've, uh, I have uh, Grace Messina um, helping me with this presentation. Um, I'll go ahead and, uh, do you wanna share your screen? You want me to share, Grace? Want me to? I can share. Okay. Um, sorry. So um, this came about because of this chart that we present to you um, on a monthly basis where um, we have grown in adjusted patient days. I mean, we have um, lower adjusted patient days, but we have grown in FTEs. So that was, um, that's why um, we are looking at 2019 you know, fiscal year 2019 versus uh, 2022, in which we have uh, more FTEs. So if we look at it, um, in 2019, we had 4,267 FTEs. In 2023, the first couple of pay periods, we had four, we have 4,734. And as you see earlier, it's 4,620. Uh, for August. Um, this is uh, as of July. But um, the reason why these, it's very different. Our, our landscape is a little bit different. So we had these adjustments on top. Um, we had EBMG join us. And um, so that's 193 FTEs. Um, it was formerly known as OCARE and have been renamed as EBMG. And then there's COVID. 
Um, so in uh, 2023, obviously in 2019, there was no COVID, 77 FTEs were on COVID leaves. Now the state of emergency will be ending that in September 2020, sorry, 2022, sorry about that. It's, it's ended, it's, it has ended or will be ending in the next couple of weeks. And therefore the COVID leaves will not be, um, um, will not be used anymore. So that's 77 COVID leaves in which um, every employee gets uh, 10 days to take on leave if they have COVID, um, if they have COVID. Um, and then 24 are COVID requirements. We have FTEs that, you know, we need to check, like for example, the SNF. We need to check the SNF patients when there's a breakout, they get tested all the time. There's drive-through. So there's different um, COVID requirements um, that we put in our COVID cost centers. And that's the 24 FTEs. That's with the check-in as well. You know, people coming in, getting checked in, um, in our, in, in our hospitals, in our facilities, and then the lab tests that, that we offer, the drive-throughs and things like that. And in FY19, we had EPIC. Uh, we started EPIC, pro, uh, we started the EPIC um, implementation, but they, at that point, because it's implementing, it was capitalized. So this 84 FTEs was there in 2019, but they were all capitalized because of the implementation. And then we do have a little bit of volume impact for certain departments. Even though our adjusted patient days may not have, um, may have gone down, we did have some um, COVID, I mean, uh, some volume impact. So we had 40% increase in GI, 22% um, increase in deliveries. We have the MRI backlog that we're trying to do. So we've, we've added two FTEs for that. Um, we have, Pharmacy has increased in retail scripts, and we can see that with our revenues. And there was also a, a decrease in surgery volumes, which actually have us seven FTEs less in surgery. So these are like the volume adjustments. Um, and then for the overhead, we were looking at management. We have added hey, eight. Hey Grace, uh -huh. you might want to call out that. So if you adjust those out, the actual number it, that we should be comparing to FY23 is 4663, Correct. which is only 71, not almost 400 increase in FTE. So the, the, it looks like a big step in the graph, but we need to adjust out some of those FTEs. And so the true increase is only 71. Thank you for that, Kim. And so 28 are overhead, uh, meaning there were seven uh, VPs increased from 2019. Um, and then there's 21 directors and, and managers um, for that. Um, 32 is labor standard changes, meaning we've added staffing based on some MOU requirements that we were, um, we were given. So like, for example, 25 FTEs in mental health specialist. Um, we've added four in um, four clerks that we needed to add for 24 seven coverage in the NICU department. Um, and then um, we added three additional FTEs in the ED for our end break and triage. So these are MOU um, agreements that we made with the union that we needed to add. So those are labor standard changes. We've also added some system overhead support. Um, 10 of these 14 is coming out of HR. You know, we, we have um, 
you know, we, we, we added more for recruitment. Um, we know we added this Olay. This is the um, educational piece in HR, you know, to, to help the management be educated, um, giving them some extra skill sets they need for leadership and things like that. I know there's more that they do besides those. Um, and then, you know, just HR operations, um, there's a benefit admin and business services, FTEs. There's also a couple of grant research associates that was added and um, two FTEs for health home complex care. Um, for revenue cycle, there was actually a reduction of 38. And, um, you know, this is coming from having one AR system in Epic instead of multiple. Um, there were also charges were being done by revenue cycle back then. And it's not, it's, it's not anymore because of Epic. Um, we did not do any layoffs or anything like that. It was through attrition and reorganization that these 38 came out. Um, for, for housekeeping, there were 35 additional housekeepers. A lot of these housekeepers, I would say about 20 was a result of the PERB settlement. That is the Public Employee Relations Board settlement. There was a complaint that we had unfair labor practices which resulted in a rebid to the staff, and in, and we had to redo the way that we um, the way that we um, we schedule and 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 assign the housekeepers. At the same time, we did get we did have a finding. I believe it was in 2020. Um, the Jayco uh, there were findings regarding housekeeping or you know um, our our lack thereof of um, our facility being that clean. So we needed to add that for those purposes. On top of that, you know, with the 2020, uh, with the 2020 COVID, we then added um, additional cleaning protocols, um, you know, terminal cleaning after every patient um, having to do the radiation, uh, that, that white band every time the patient leaves. So in, Total, there were 71 FTEs that we really added from 2019 to 2023. Any questions on this so far? So then the other ask was actually, you know, the VP. Um, so these are the VP. This is the seven I, re I, I mentioned earlier. Um, this is between 2019 and 2023. Um, these are the positions that were added as VPs. Um, all of them have actually been um, employed already since 2022 or 2023. Um, so these are the people that's on that seven difference. Now, this is just additional information. I think you, you there was a um, question um, about who are the new VPs that's come on board. So, you know, some of these people, the, um, the VPs were kind of, they were, they were in the, in 2019, but in different capacities, you know, we they different titles and so forth. But these are the new ones that were either hired in 22 or 23. I've also um, added some vacancies that we have that is still out for recruitment. Um, if I may, um, um, Grace, many of these positions you're pointing out here were not additional FTEs. Right. They're not, these were not additional FTEs. They were re, um, regrouped. These are the addition from 2019 to 2020 to 2023. These are new by just looking at the descriptions. Okay, any questions for Grace? 
Well, I guess I have one question and that is, are we continuing to approve additional uh, management hires given the fact that we're uh, behind budget year to date August and have a significant variance in, in our performance improvement initiatives? Um, Trustee Fox, we've got a committee called the Work Committee that um, every single FTE, whether it's leader, staff, whatever it may be, is scrutinized um, around need, productivity, any other way to do the work, et cetera. So that is continual ongoing. Um, we have denied, frankly, um, staff and some leadership positions that have come forward. So um, those everything's being scrutinized. Okay. Well, I would just uh, add a note of caution to uh, management, and I know James is not here tonight, but you know, with, with the trend and two months doesn't make a year, but, but with the trends that we've seen, um, I would just caution against getting too top heavy in senior management, uh, you know, in case we get to the point where some cost cutting is, is necessary, uh, you know, and in a hospital, serious cost cutting usually involves headcount because that's where the costs are. Uh, it would be, you know, unfortunate if we had some new positions that maybe we were to find out that they were, you know, we couldn't afford them anymore. And when we had made hires, I hate to, to see uh, HS get into that position. So hopefully that won't happen, but just a note of caution on that. Okay. Um, and I just have a couple of schedules here for information. It's just a COVID trend. You can see that the COVID wasn't here. And then in 2020 is 86, 88, it went down in 22, but um, this is just a factor of one month. So that actually will, you know, um, relieve itself after that. And then this is just additional information about the trends budget versus actual. And so um, I will go ahead and send this to Rana and, and um, for your, for distribution. Okay. Any other comments, questions, comments, uh, or anything else to add on the subject of FTE growth? Okay. Um, I think we've reached the end of our agenda. Uh, does anybody have anything else to add or uh, at this time? Okay, we'll see you all in November, if not before. Thanks for attending Bye, everybody. everybody. We're adjourned, good night. Good night, good night everyone. Good night. Thank you.